the things that matter the most have to do with the teacher and the student and how they interact in the classroom. Hello, Montgomery County. This is Brandon Langer with the OPL Podcast, and thank you for joining us. Today we have Dr. John Almerode here to talk about the work of uh, visible learning and specifically the topic of clarity and how it can improve our instruction, our interactions with kids, and build a learning environment that really is improving conversations and improving understanding for all learners, including the teacher. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And also joining me today, I have Ms. Stephanie Schwab. Hi, everybody. Uh, Stephanie Schwab, STEM Program Administrator in the Office of Professional Learning. And Mr. Jesse Gluckman. And I am also from Montgomery County, the Office of Professional Learning. Awesome. So my first question today is just broadly, you know, we're working on clarity in general today, but you started today by highlighting all of the work of Hattie's research. And those of us that are still learning about that have a lot of questions. What do those effect sizes really mean? And one of the interesting things that you pointed out today was this idea that you know, those upper level effect sizes, we actually have a lot of control over. These are the things that we as teachers can address. These are where instructional strategies that we control can improve learning. And I was just curious if you could, you know, highlight that for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Hattie database is uh, profound in, for multiple reasons. Number one is it gives us a, a body of research about what works best in teaching and learning, um, but it also gives us a scale for determining what best means. Does it work on a smaller scale or a larger scale? And it uses the idea of effect sizes, which is all about the idea of growth. So did we see change from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, from the start of the unit to the end of the unit? And one of the things that has come out of this work is that the things that matter the most have to do with the teacher and the student and how they interact in the classroom. And so what does that mean in different terminology? It's the things we have control over on a regular basis. Now, there are things that have high effect sizes or have a, a large influence on student learning that we have no control over, but they are small in number compared to the number of things that we have direct control over in the classroom that have a huge impact on student learning. Specifically then today, one of those is clarity that you've been speaking to us about today. Can you just summarize a little bit the components of clarity that you've been sharing with us today? Sure. Um, and some of this happens in our daily life. It's hard to hit a target you can't see, and it's hard to hit a target that's in motion. And that's just kind of life, a life fact. When it comes to an eight-year-old learning mathematics, um, the idea of that eight-year-old having a clear understanding of what it is they need to learn, why they have to learn it, and what that successful learning looks like provides clarity that makes it more relevant, accessible, and, and more, I guess, say, appetizing to that, that young learner. But that also applies to an 18-year-old. And so the idea of clarity is do we as teachers know what it is we truly want our students to learn, why we're asking them to learn it, and what that goal or that target looks like. That's the success. Or what does learning look like when we are successful at that particular content or topic, and then making sure the students are with us in that conversation. We don't like to do things that we don't know what the outcome is or what the outcome should look like, so why would we expect that to be the case in the classroom? Um, one of the big connections I had from today's session and the importance of clarity parallels with what I've been talking and learning about UDL. So we talk about being tight on goals, flexible on means, and that's really like it's a big concept. 
you don't really know how to do it. So when John's here speaking to us as teachers and he's making things really explicit about how to take an objective and make it so that kids can access that, it also, I see this great opportunity to say, yes, when we're clear on the goal, when we're clear on what we're trying to do, then we can sort of differentiate easier in the classroom for all students to be able to learn. So I see like that connection and I really want to sort of amplify that through some of the other work we do this year. And I bet you can relate to that, Stephanie, with the STEM work. There's a lot coming from the state of Pennsylvania. There's a lot coming from the IUs in particular. I think part of it is really that modeling that he's doing for us about what it actually looks like when you deliver an effective professional development session and how you're truly modeling everything that we want to see happening and what is it that we can do to better engage participants. But also when you speak specifically about the STEM content, I feel that we look very broadly a lot of times and we don't focus in enough on just that one day. What is it that students are going to walk out of my classroom today knowing what they learned, why they learned it, and how they actually learned it? And I think we focus too much on a larger scale and don't really think about that one class period and what they're going to walk out the door with. And I think that evaluative practice is important on on part of the teachers, but also for ourselves. And one thing that happened while I was uh, in the session today, you alluded to an activity you had done with a different purpose, and then you reapplied it for another purpose because you you found the value in that. What kind of lens do you take when it's time to come work with teachers, John? It's the same lens that I would use or used when I was in, in the public schools as a math and science teacher. The idea that there has to be intentionality and purpose behind everything that we pick to use that day or to ask our learners to engage in. And so rather than just picking a strategy because it's my favorite, because it shows up on evaluations as being popular, because it's fun, because it's new, all those lists of of things that we use to motivate ourselves to do something. Instead, you pick the strategy because it closes the gap between where learners are now and where you want them to be by the end of the class, the day, the week, whatever the situation is that you're trying to address with learning. And so it's intentionality and purpose. Um, We all have our favorite strategies. If the jigsaw is your favorite strategy, good for you. But the jigsaw (laughs) doesn't work all the time. And so it's not underselling jigsaw. It's just making sure it works at the right time for the right students with the right content. Um, Doug Fisher and Nancy Fry uh, refer to this as precision planning and precision teaching. Mm -hmm. And that's the concept. And I think that was evident as well when you were talking about the point of the effect size, when we talk about 0.4, for those that are familiar with visible learning, that that is one year's growth. That doesn't necessarily mean one grade level. And I thought that was a really important point to make as well. We see that a lot in elementary school classrooms. I mean, this is not a criticism, it's an observation. You know, if a learner comes in at the pre-primer level in third grade, one year's worth of growth doesn't mean fifth grade reading level by June. It means are they making growth? With that being said, with the emphasis on achievement these days, I think sometimes we forget growth because we're so focused on achievement, but here's the way I would think about it. If you show more than one year's worth of growth in your learners for consecutive years, achievement's going to come. But if all I focus on is achievement at the expense of growth, there are going to be a whole host of learners that can meet achievement benchmarks, but they could have done it in September. There are gonna be a whole group of learners that are gonna get um, inappropriately classified or grouped because they're not achieving, but they're showing a remarkable growth that's not indicated on achievement tests. And so I think focusing on growth and zeroing in on that growth score, achievement is going to follow if we stay above one year's worth of growth as much as possible. 
And how does that work in with UDL, Jesse? And I, th- I feel like growth is important there as well. Yeah, and I think the very understanding that all learners are variable. That learning is not this thing that we like to think it is. That we have to teach towards the middle. That we have to really think about all students at all levels and just try to grow every one of them. It's a really daunting task, but that's the work that we're in, right? So it's really interesting to sort of look at all these concepts and these philosophies and see that they're all getting at a growth model being the most effective way to, to think about each student. We still have an afternoon session coming up. And so just curious, what do you hope to achieve with teachers in these sessions that they're going to immediately turn around and walk away with it, that we can start making that usable for, for a broader audience for those that may have not been here today? Absolutely. Um, the goal is, is not to reinvent the wheel. Um, and it's a little cliche, so let me clarify that. Um, this doesn't require a complete redo of what we do in our classroom. What it does is a quick reflection on where am I in terms of, of making learning clear for myself as the teacher as well as the students that are in those seats, and what am I already doing that meets those needs and gives me the learning outcomes that I'm looking for, and what are some things that I can tweak. There's no one right way to do it except the way that produces learning gains. And so what's working, keep doing it. What's not working, make adjustments. And some of that may require simple tweaks in our strategies and tasks. This afternoon, we're gonna take the learning intentions and success criteria from this morning and talk about how those help us pick the best strategy at the right time for the right student with the right content. And so it's not a complete reinvention, it's a, comp- it's a reflection process on what's working and what's not, and then what do I change to make sure that everything is working to the best of its ability. And I love that statement because something that, Stephanie, you talk about a lot with regard to the visible learning. What can we look forward from the IU with kind of that in mind as well coming up this year? So we're going to focus on a couple more of the influences in, from the visible learning research, uh, feedback, efficacy, a day of what works best when, and then the assessment-capable visible learner. So we have four days of professional development coming up later in the year, two in January, two in April, to really start digging into different influences to see what is the area that might fit best at your school district or school at the time so that you can pick something to really focus on and dig deeply into and not be overwhelmed by all of the influences that are out there and just be a little more strategic in the work that you're doing. Yeah, I remember when I first logged into the Visible Learning website and I pulled down that two-page, you know, it's red, green, you know, all that stuff. And it was a daunting task and because then you start to dig into what that data and how extensive it really is. I love that we're looking at specific, setting specific goals for ourselves and working with our, our districts to identify what those should be and continue to have those conversations and, and dig in on one or two. And, and Kristen Anderson was here earlier this year and she's coming back. She was saying, it's not just about picking one or two. It's about picking where, and, and John, you were kind of talking about this this morning, where are the ripple effects? Where are the ones where one influences 10? And and if we don't do that, if we just zero in on this one, I mean, we may as well just ignore the research at that point. Cause that's not, I don't think that's the, the story it's trying to tell us when we look at the data. That's a good way to put it. Uh, thank you for joining us over your over your lunchtime. We really appreciate it. We're just trying to get it as much as we can for everybody in the county and spread this knowledge and, and point people to opportunities at, with the IU to come out and visit and learn with us. We have a bunch of our consultants in on your session today learning together, and that's what we're all about. So thanks again for joining us over lunch. Uh, thank you to my colleagues for joining us. And uh, for everybody else out there, we will continue to have our conversations with guest speakers, school districts, student projects. We're trying to put it all out there, help promote all the good things going on in education.
location throughout the county. So if you have a project you'd like to highlight, please feel free to reach out. And until next time, this is Brandon Langer. It's been the OPL Podcast. Thank you.